All right, so this is probably going to be pretty fucking raw at this point. This is Christine from Toronto. Do you remember, God, what was it, PC Gamer, I think it was, when they gave out demos for video games? That was when we first got Resident Evil 2. I was excited and put it on and promptly died instantly and hated every second of it. And then we got a PlayStation 2. My brother, even though he was four years younger than me, still wanted Resident Evil 2. So we ended up buying it. I tried it again, died again, hated it again. And then he finally beat it and got around to the other side where you play the B side. And if you beat it on what is it, A rank or the B rank or whatever, and you got the, the unlimited ammo on whatever weapon it was, he's like, why don't you try it this way? So we did. It was the first time I beat it. It sucked because I had to cheat, but it was the first time I beat it and I realized I generally enjoyed it. And then it became the challenge between the two of us to try and hit S rank, which neither of us could do until we realized there was a very specific path you have to take to beat the game in 45 minutes with less than five saves, which we eventually both learned how to do and continued doing it whenever we would have a bad day. We would just be like, fuck it, let's go play Resident Evil. We would take turns playing the A side and B side of a character's game. And it was actually the first point in our life where we uh, never really fought. So it became our thing. And then as every progressive Resident Evil came out, the two of us would play them together, take turns, switching off controllers. Whenever someone died or got angry, they would turn around and hand it to the other person. And then five came out. It was kind of sullied because I had a boyfriend at the time. He was very adamant about playing it with me and he was terrible and I didn't finish the game with him because I would just get angry and I would fucking leave because that's how I am. And I took it home with me one weekend and of course my brother and I beat the entire game in the course of what, six hours. So Resident Evil has always been our thing. Gamers bond on a very deep level through video games. Some of the deepest friendships I have in my life were built in exactly the way that Christine is describing two people sitting on a couch, handing a controller back and forth, overcoming the adversity of the game together. We help each other solve puzzles. We develop strategies for bosses. When we'd win, we'd celebrate. We'd jump up off the couch and we'd high five and we'd hoot and holler. And when we lose, well, We'd open another beer, maybe take a break and order a pizza, maybe sulk for a little bit, and then get right back in there. Try again. On today's show, we're going to learn more about Christine and her very special bond with her brother and the game Resident Evil. Welcome to Heavily Pixelated. I'm glad you're here. Heavily Pixelated is a show that attempts to describe all the positive things that games do for us. I'm Scott C. Jones. Christine was always a bit of a mystery to me. She's very passionate about nerd culture, about video games and comic books and superheroes. When Vic and I would come to Toronto for Fan Expo in August, Christine was always there. And she would be wearing some immaculate cosplay outfit that had been inspired by the anime that she loves. She always made a strong impression on people. Sometimes there were fans that I would worry about a little. Christine was one of those people. I worried about her. 
didn't really know her. I didn't really know what was going on in her life. She just seemed to love anime and video games so damn much. She covers herself in, in cosplay because it feels like, you know, this is a way for her to protect herself. Cosplay, in a way, is armor. Like, I had been called the weirdo and the freak my entire life, so I just kind of wore it as a badge of honor. Christine's got a kid brother. He's four years younger than she is. He's always been into horror and gore and everything else, and I think Resident Evil was really what put me over the edge to put me into zombie horror. It's always just been zombies. Do you, do you remember years ago when you made a recording for me. I do remember this. Christine came to me with her phone. She said, will you record a message for my brother? He wants to sell his copy of Bioshock and you have to tell him that he can't do that. And so I said, yeah, sure, whatever lady. And so I recorded a message telling Christine's brother not to be a fool, to hold on to his copy of Bioshock and to play it and appreciate it every day. When I came home and I played the recording for him and he was very angry that night. Couldn't believe I had it done for him and couldn't believe I asked you to say that. He sat down and played it and then he got it. Over the course of like 48 hours, he went from being very angry that I had got you to record that for him and went to bragging that anyone who watched the show, look what my sister did for me, look what my sister did for me. A bizarre incident occurred in the outskirts of an American suburb called Raccoon City. It always, it always was Resident Evil. We wouldn't really play anything else together but except for Resident Evil. All of them. Yeah, all of them. Like, we started with two and then we went back and grabbed the first one and then continued on after that. But we'd always just play those together. Like, I remember, like, even New Year's when I could have gone out with friends and it was just my brother and I alone in his room playing like Resident Evil 3 and me screaming because I didn't I didn't know any of the the shock value yet. Mm -hmm. My parents being like, what are you two doing? They're like, nothing, nothing. Try not to die, mom. I used to not play horror video games at all. This is what changed everything for me. And we got to the point where like we could beat it in 45 minutes. I can put this game on and start it and finish it and then go eat dinner. Like Christine, her brother Matthew was also passionate about games. When Christine and Matthew still lived at home, Matthew began drinking more and more. He would already be fairly drunk, and there'd be beer in the fridge, and be like, like, look, you don't need any more of this. Just, just stop. Christine and Matthew worked in the kitchen of the same restaurant. Christine would open in the morning, and Matthew would close down the restaurant at night. We would have different shifts, and I always open, and he would always close. Um, he'd be getting home, like, as I'm going to bed. I'd wake up and he'd still be drinking. And I'd be like, you need, you need to stop. What Christine didn't know was that in addition to alcohol, her brother was also experimenting with drugs, mainly fentanyl and heroin. I didn't know the drug use went as far as it did. I didn't know he had experimented with everything or to the point of, you know, actually doing heroin. Because I was the one that found all the used needles. I didn't know how far the drugs went until his best friend had finally come back from the tour he was doing because he works in the Navy. And he's like, no, man, your parents, my parents had no clue how far in we were. And I was like, okay, stop telling me this. This I don't need to know. All I need to know is that he overdosed. That was it. I don't need to know what you guys used to do all the time. Christine's brother, Matthew Van Shaik, Overdose in October of 2018. 
He was 31 years old. It wasn't until, like, my later 20s that he told me he actually really does look up to me. And that I make him want to be a better person. How I'm the inspiration for him to get his GED and things like that. But the most important thing to me about this entire situation was just continuing on living my life in a way that would make him proud <laughs> and not dealing with anyone's bullshit or taking anyone's bullshit because he wouldn't he wouldn't wouldn't expect that from me and he wouldn't want that from me. <laughs> I still remember. Like, when my first boyfriend and I broke up, he just looked at me and went, do you need me to kill him? And I said, no, he's not worth it. And he went, looked at me and went, all right, fuck it. Let's go get a drink. So that's just the way my brother was. He was, he was my um, mystery science theater partner for the shitty movies too. Because we would just sit there and, well, he would get very, very drunk because I don't really drink. And we would just tear them apart. My brother was a, um, a doomsday packer of sorts, only it was always for the zombie apocalypse. He had actually broke his leg in a really weird spot when he was younger. Tobogganing. Yeah, how Canadian. His entire leg was in a cast so he couldn't do anything. What he ended up doing was taking our old um, camcorder and he would set it up on the floor of his bedroom and he would literally make stop motion with his little Lego people. <laughs> That's what he used to do when he couldn't do anything. One of them had like a train heist or whatever, so he went kind of bananas when he did it. When you tell me things like this, I understand that you're brother and sister. I wouldn't even tread in that world, and I beat things. The weird runs in the family. My brother and I had talked for years and never worked out because we were on opposite schedules and we didn't live in the same city anymore, that we were going to get, um, matching tattoos of just the umbrella corp corporation umbrella and then the barcode for the original like copy of Resident Evil 2 that we had possibly behind our ears so we looked like we were an experiment from umbrella and it just never worked out eventually at some point in time this year I will get that done as my thing for him Christine like all the best nerds is a bit of an eccentric one of the things that she's really into uh, is a YouTube channel that I'd never heard of before called Ask a Mortician. What happens to a body during embalming? She just answers death questions and is incredibly death positive and actually also really helped through the entire thing of it. And like is always pushing for like natural burials. My corpse, my choice. That's a good t-shirt idea. Um, really? Um, my brother was more cocky and sarcastic than I was. 
and better at uh, pushing your buttons than I was. He could push anyone's buttons and just piss them right off. Even when I moved out finally and moved to Toronto, he, uh, he'd still pussed out some zombie game for uh, us to play through when I would go home for a weekend because he would book off the entire weekend to spend time with me. When he would come up here for weekends, he'd basically bring something along the lines of Resident Evil to play over the weekend because we can beat them so quickly. And it's it's basically our thing. Um, yeah, I moved out five years ago. Okay. And I think that's when it took the turn for the worst. Whether I like it or not, he's, he looked up to me. Like, he went back to get his GED because his sister went to college. It's weird being someone's inspiration when you don't think of it that way. According to Christine, there was a softer side to Matthew as well. He never really showed it either. It's just like very, very select moments the two of us had where he would just like show that side. Once I moved out, he had nothing. The Raccoon City Police Department's Special Stars Unit immediately began investigation in the when he was born, I hated him, um, which was conveniently when my parents bought the Atari and started the entire video game obsession, which they then hated later on. But the Umbrella Corporation's experiments were far finished. We would just sit there in front of the TV for like 10 hours straight and play whatever. He annoyed me, okay. I annoyed him, we just beat the shit out of each other, you know. He threatened to stab me at one point. If it got bad enough, we'd probably just literally kill each other. It wasn't really until Resident Evil 2 that we would actually sit down and be calm and cool and collected and just play a game together. It was really that game that gave us something to bond over. As he got older, it was probably about 18 or 19, where like a switch flicked in his head. We no longer fought and we got along and all of a sudden became very protective of me. It's weird because we wouldn't really interact. We'd always work opposite shifts because I would always open a restaurant and he would always close. But then like we'd have the occasional moments where it would just be like, hey, doing all right? Taking a break from whatever to go get a smoke. I can take like an hour long break if I need to. If you just need someone to talk to. It'd be that every once in a while. He'd never do it with my parents. It's just me. He'd just stop and be like, hey. Do you just need someone to talk to? I worked in kitchens for years, so how I never picked up the smoking or the drinking. I worked with alcoholics and drug addicts for so many years in kitchens that I'm like, I don't want this. I don't want yeah. this to be part of my life. Because I don't know how I managed to get out of a kitchen without being addicted to everything. My brother wanted to be a writer for a while, but he always wanted to direct. Mm -hmm. Like, we both want to be on the other side of the camera. That was our thing, is he really wanted to, to direct. That used to be his thing until, you know, he got kitchen friends and they were like, that's stupid, stop doing that, let's just go drink. It takes a very strong will to be able to be in that environment and just go against that environment. He actually went out and at least did some of it, yes. which is what a lot of people don't do. I was the freak being in the kitchen because I wasn't into anything. I was the weirdo because I would just go home and sew or cosplay or whatever. I'm essentially Belle from Beauty and the Beast and I want much more than this provincial life. 
You're a cop, right? Yeah. First day on the job. Great, huh? Name's Leon Kennedy. Nice to meet you. Mine's Claire. Claire Redfield. I came to find my brother, Chris. This is a scene from the original Resident Evil 2. It's Leon Kennedy's first day on the police force. Sure, it's only his first day, but already the rookie. Leon has rescued a beautiful young woman named Claire Redfield. And now Claire and Leon are speeding toward the soon-to-be-doomed Raccoon City. A zombie who'd been hiding in the back seat causes Leon to crash the police car. You okay? Still in one piece. And as they're sort of regrouping, an 18-wheeler hauling a full tank of fuel bears down on them and crashes into the police car. Leon jumps out the driver's side. Claire jumps out the passenger side. Leon! I'm okay. Head to the station. I'll meet you there. Okay. Christine grew up surrounded by men, so like it or not, she had to develop a tougher side. I was the only girl that lived on my street. I was a tomboy to the extreme. Like, it was me and five guys that lived on my street. There was no chance for me to be girly-girly when I was younger. It was all sports and, in my house, video games. Christine's vulnerable, sure, but she's also a little intimidating, too. From, from having to fight extra hard because you're the only girl. Some of you remember this for sure. Resident Evil 2 on the PlayStation 1 came packaged as two discs. One disc you could play as Leon Kennedy, the other as Claire Redfield. Leon is my favorite video game character for life, ride or die. I call him my husband. He is my favorite. I also am really attached to Claire, just maybe not as much. So I've always played both sides. When Shaz came over to play the remake with me, I'm like, which side are we playing? And she's like, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's our boy, but it's also our girl. And I just, so we ended up flipping a coin. The result of the coin flip? Leon. I'm not that attached to you like anyone else in, in the Resident Evil universe. It's just Leon and Claire. I mean, I know everyone else, but I'm just like, mm, eh. Resident Evil 2 was a big, complicated game. There were many rooms to explore, puzzles, little details, things to collect. So somebody usually has to take notes, keep track of things. I'd be the one with the pad of paper writing down everything. It just feels so cheap to just Google it. It's so much easier to just Google it, but then, like, I feel like that was part of the appeal of the old horror games. Like, where's, your, where's my pad so I can write all this down? Having to figure out this added mystery while things are trying to kill you. It's weird when you think about it, of like, oh yeah, I'm in, I'm in this police, this police station, and I have to go find like gems from like hidden pieces of art to get out of the building. But like, I'm doing it. I'm writing down my notes. Christine's right. There's something almost beautiful in the surrealness or the nonsensicalness of the Resident Evil games. They don't usually make any sense, but their inherent silliness has an almost artistic touch to it. Although you ha you will hit the wall of like, I can't beat this, so therefore I can't progress any farther. Get the gamer lean in and be like, okay, this time I'll do it. Yeah. I've got like four bullets, we've got this. Yeah. I don't really like horror movies. I do enjoy horror video games. And it's really hard to explain to people who don't play a lot of video games. Like, I like being in control of the horror. 
I, uh, so I volunteered to go identify his body. So I was the one that went in and went, yeah, he looks like a weird cult leader, but that's my brother. Um, like I had already disassociated this body with being my brother. So my parents found him. So they had already dealt with that. And um, it's hard to explain to my parents this part. They still don't understand it. Christine's parents did not want to be part of the cremation. But Christine, empowered by things she'd learned from Ask a Mortician, very much did. It was my parents and my aunt that were with me, and all three of them were like, you don't want to do this. That's going to be the last thing you see of him. And I'm like, no, no, I'm going to do it. Um, I watched a lot of like um, Ask a Mortician, and one of the things she really um, advocates for is like if you're going to cremate your deceased family member, to be the one to do it. Now, I don't mean like literally set a torch and just let it go. Go to where they're cremating them, have a very active role in, in doing it. If you can, be the one that pushes the button. When it came up as an option to go for the cremation, I said I was doing it. Like it, it, was, it was there and it didn't look like him, but I can confirm that yes, it was him. It was like, it was Halloween. The most metal thing I could do on Halloween. Um, nine o'clock in the morning, I had like two pieces of toast because that's all I could actually get down into my stomach. And my cousin Dave had come with me because he was like, look it, I understand Van Shake women. And when you guys decide you are going to do something, you would have walked to that cemetery if you had to, to get there because no one wanted to go with me. And so my cousin Dave came with me and um, we brought a bottle of Jameson, which is weirdly one of his requests that he had made to one of his friends. Matthew had jokingly told one of his friends that he wanted everyone to do a shot of Jameson at his funeral. Smoke a joint, do a shot of Jameson and play some Jefferson Airplane. This is what he wanted. We accomplished one at the actual celebration of life. The other two, everyone else did outside. I, however, did the shot of Jameson right before we cremated him. I asked him to open up the casket because it was just like one of those like pine ones. So my cousin and I like poured some shots and I literally poured the third shot on like essentially his torso because we just opened up the middle because I, I was very adamant about not having him embalmed because they wanted to do it. And I'm like, realistically speaking, it's Monday. And somehow I, I gathered all of my like logical sense to just look at the funeral director and be like, it's Monday. He's being cremated at 9 a.m. Wednesday morning. Why are we putting any embalming in him? Like, well, we'll do a bit in his face. I'm like, look it, I'm prepared for whatever horror show his unembalmed body is gonna be in. Do not put any chemicals in my brother. And both of my parents were like, Okay. I'm like, no, I'm serious. Do not put any chemicals in my brother. The guy that ran the cemetery had to leave to go do something else. It was literally Dave, me, and the, the what are they? The crematorium technician. That's their name. That's their job title. I had a really, really good technician. He explained everything to me. I'm like, and I had come in. I'm like, can I push the button? And he was like, if you want. I'm like, well, I don't want anyone sending my brother to Valhalla unless it's me. And he was like, all right, if you want, yeah. Like, I'm here for you, whatever you need to do. So, so we just kind of, we did our shot. Um, he rolled the body in there and I hit the button and went, and we just sat there for like two hours. 
Just listening to the fire. Does it take two, two hours? It takes eight hours total for the process. It takes about three hours or four hours for the body to completely break down. It's about an hour or two for it to cool down enough to clear it out. And then uh, another couple hours to, to process the remains. So like putting them in the big bone grinder and just getting rid of it. I yeah. thought it was like instant. No, no, it's, it takes a lot to burn a body. My parents don't get it. I don't think anyone else in my family, other than my cousin Dave, who was there with me, but like, it helps much to just be there and have as close to like a Viking send off as I could. Because my brother was more into zombies than I was, if you think that's humanly possible. And honestly, I feel like if I could have took him out back and built him like a big old just pile of wood and set his body aflame, he would have preferred that, to tell you the honest truth, but I don't think we can legally do that. It just smells like you're by a campfire. And like my cousin and I just sat there on, in like the back of the chapel. I was, <laughs> I, it mildly scared my cousin because I was all business. Like we walked in and like, okay, well, we're gonna bring the body out for you. And I'm like, no, I can see the back, let's just go. And they're like, you don't want to start with something nice. I'm like, no, I can see the back, let's just go. And he's like, are you sure? I'm like, I'm here to burn a body. We're burning a body. The shot of Jameson first thing in the morning was not easy for Christine. It just tasted like shitty Jameson. I don't like Jameson. I was drunk off one shot. The Jefferson airplane also didn't make a lot of sense to Christine. What the hell is this? My brother listens to the stones. What is this? So I was like, what is, okay, okay. There was a lot of jokes about me being drunk because I was drunk. I was, yeah, I was fully aware. I'm like, Dave, we can't move until I can stand up straight. Christine's mom called her while she and Dave were still in the crematorium. She's like, what do you mean you're drunk? I'm like, I haven't ate anything and I did a shot at nine o'clock in the morning. I'm like, Dave and I are going to go get breakfast. I'm going to go get food so I'm not drunk. Because that was my mother's big worry is I'm going to start drinking because of this. I love that you wanted to be there and burn the body. And again, it's just like you're choosing agency. You're, you're, you're deciding something in this moment. You are going to be the one who presses the button. Yeah, it helped a lot with, with the grieving process because it's like, it very much was final. Yeah. Because I didn't, I didn't even really see the body until like, the Tuesday before, so it was, it was my spot to sit down and be like, this is my goodbye to him. It was actually a sense of pride, because it was like, I felt like I, I gave him as close to what I think he would have wanted. Because it was, <laughs> I guess it was just, just looked at me, because I had the bottle and he had the shot glass, and we just kind of clinked them, and I just hit the button, and then did the shot, and he was just like, okay, I'm mildly afraid of you right now. I honestly, if I could have had a shotgun in my other hand, and just held it there just for the sake of having it, I would have. Life is a bit of a minefield for Christine right now. Triggers are everywhere. Reminders of Matthew are everywhere. Even in the movie Detective Pikachu, Christine felt more than she expected to feel. There is a point in the movie where our Detective Pikachu, where he was talking about 
his dad because his dad dies at the beginning of the movie. And I was like, you know, I really wish I would have came to visit him more or do more or whatever. And then you just have Pikachu be like, hey man, I'm pretty sure if your dad was here, he'd hug you so hard right now, your bones would pop. And I'm just like, you just have that moment of like, yeah, should have called more, should have talked some more, should have called more, but there's nothing I can do. So it just, it comes out in weird moments like that where you don't think it's going to hit you. And then it's just, it's the most random triggers that you get. Matthew had picked up a copy of Red Dead Redemption and he was having difficulty installing it on the PS4. And of course he called his big sister for help. The last thing I said to him was like, him calling me trying to figure out why the hell it wouldn't install. It was like literally the night before I was at a Halloween party and I was like, I can't, I can't talk to you right now. So I'll call you tomorrow and we'll figure it out. And he never called. <laughs> There's two two things that kind of got to me that didn't let me feel like I had failed him. Um, one was my uncle coming to us at the funeral, or a celebration of life. I don't know why I keep calling it a funeral. It makes more sense. Um, he, he came up to my mom and I, and he's like, this is not going to help now, and you're not going to want to hear it now, but I was addicted to cocaine for five years before any of you found out. And it really upset my mom, but it really stuck with me to the point of like, I can't blame myself for anything. Like, there was no way I could have known. I can't feel like I failed him because I didn't know how that was. There was literally no way of me knowing just how far it went. It's a weird thing because like, especially with the drug overdose and you don't know like how far in the drug use was because it's just like, they're there. You know, you're having a conversation about some stupid video game that won't install itself on, on your PlayStation. And then, you know, he was, he had just bought like a musket that he's been trying to buy for years. And him and my dad were watching. <laughs> <laughs> he wants a musket, he wanted a musket. I don't know. Oh my God. Tim and my dad were watching something, and then it was just like... He went to sleep and never woke back up. I found it on a Sunday. Um, I was making chicken for the week when my mom and, when my, mom and my aunt and uncle showed up. And it just so happened to be that that Sunday I'd called my mom to check on her and she was just, she was having a terrible day. And I, it was the right amount of circumstances of like, it was Sunday night, I was making chicken for the week for my lunches and my mom was just destroyed that it just, it just sat there. It just weighed on me to the point where I'm just like, I just, I can't. And I don't want to let it do that, but it's just, it might just hit the trigger. Nobody knows. Leon and Claire are reunited briefly towards the middle of the game. It's good to see you're still among the living. And Leon has some bad news for Claire about her brother. It looks like we're not going to find your brother here after all.
There's no reason for us to stay any longer than necessary. Let's split up, look for any survivors, and get out of here. Right. One last thing. Here's a radio. Take it. That way we can keep in touch if anything happens. When it's some, something like so sudden like that, it's just like they're there and they're gone. Christine recently sat down to play the remake and she sent me her first impressions. I spent 40 minutes walking around the lobby. I can fully say I am terrified, which is what I missed most about Resident Evil games. I'm sweaty. My palms are sweaty. I have my list of everything I need here. I feel like I'm 12 years old again. I really miss the feeling of being scared playing these games. I feel like I need to stop constantly and walk away from it. Here's hoping I shit my pants continuing to play it. Oh my god, I just thought about the giant crocodile. I can't wait to get to the giant crocodile. This is Peter Fabiano, a producer at Capcom's office in Osaka. Peter is also part of the production team that worked on the remake of Resident Evil 2. There's me trying not to cry. (laughs) (laughs) Do what you need to. Don't worry, Christine. It's a pleasure to meet you. All right. um, So my brother actually died of a heroin overdose last year. And um, growing up, Resident Evil 2 was our number one favorite game. The two of us have beat that game I don't know how many times. I also had uh, kind of rough teenage years and uh, almost tried to kill myself, but uh, I ended up just playing Resident Evil instead. It's kind of an important video game to me. Wow, that's As pretty a- powerful. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry for the loss of your brother, but uh, I'm really happy that the team was able to create something that could really motivate you to go forward. And, you know, they were able to create something that lived up to your expectations and resonated with you and could fill a really rough time. Yeah, uh, um, like, I still remember the E3 and calling him and both of us freaking out about the remake and then, you know, <laughs> not getting able to, not being able to play it with him. Playing it, I just kept putting my phone down because I keep going to text and be like, holy shit, you got to see this. The second the game started up, it, it all just kind of flooded back. So I still haven't beat the remake because I'm playing with a friend, but like, it started up and she's like, do you need a moment? Well, you sound really good. And healthy and, and really excited, so that's really nice to hear. Yeah, and just keep pushing on, um, trying to move on with the life, but not forget him. So RE2 was a, a huge success for Capcom. We like to think so, yeah. Um, I think, uh, you know, they were up super late waiting for reviews to drop. The directors were waiting with bated breath, and they were super happy and relieved to see that people out there really enjoyed what they had put together. And it's a, you know, it's a hard thing to live up to because um, nostalgia is pretty strong, right? So you want to make something that stays true to the original, but is also fresh and resonates with a new generation as well. So if you had to start a game of Resident Evil 2 right now, uh, would it be Leon or would it be Claire? I'm going to say I'm a Claire fan. So Leon gets <laughs> most of the light. I'm going to go with Claire. Christine, who would you pick? I, you know what? I love Claire, but Leon's my husband, so I have to stay with the man. <laughs> <laughs> he has been, he's been my favorite since it first came out. I actually, I have a question then. Which, so throughout the entire series, which Leon? I still love two. Okay, so you like more young, 
Just yeah. getting getting used to a, a zombie infested world. What's Nobody wrong? listens to him. What's wrong with four, Leon? Uh, it's not the same. Four, Leon is pretty hot. <laughs> I know, I know, but then the remake came around. I, I also understand that that you have a a, a role in uh, Resident Evil Seven. <laughs> I do. Not only did I work on the production and development, but I also feature in the game <laughs> it, it was originally kind of like hey we just want some test data so you mind you know getting scanned and then the dev team's like actually Pete, we want to put you in the game we're going to make you a producer in the game and then it was like uh, actually we're going to the writer was like actually i'm going to make you an asshole and then it got bigger and bigger and bigger and, and then it was like oh we're going to use you as part of the demo so then you see the character pete walken in re7 and uh yeah his likeness is basically my own wow Christine, do you have any questions for Pete Walken? <laughs> <laughs> I have to put on Pete Walken hat, but yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, you know, mostly just like thanks. Basically, thank you for my life. Um, it's it's what stopped me from killing myself. Funny enough, I still have our original copy of Resident Evil Two in my closet right now, oh. and uh, eventually, at some point, I will go get the tattoo my brother and I were both going to go get with the umbrella logo and the original barcode from Resident Evil 2. That's amazing. And I'll go back and tell the team your story and I'm sure it's going to move them. Yeah, thank you, Christine. Thank you very much. Thank you, Peter Fabiano from Capcom. Peter, you were sweet to do that. Also, special thanks to Hiro Ito at 47 Communications. Hiro set up that phone call with Peter Fabiano, so Hiro, thank you, buddy. If you'd like to see photos of Christine and Matthew, you can go to my website, scottcjones.com. And yes, Christine, you're right. Matthew does look like a weird cult leader. If you want to do something nice for Christine, go to our Dangerous Ladies store. Dangerous Ladies specializes in handcrafted cosplay accoutrement. Whether you're looking for Edelgard's Emperor kit or Camilla's Tiara, Dangerous Ladies has you covered. They have an Etsy store, or you can follow them on Twitter at Dangerous Ladies. All music in today's episode is from the Free Music Archive, freemusicarchive.org. Tracks include Glimpse of Eternity from Maidan, Bio Unit, which is what you're hearing right now, 15 Roots Home by River Foxcraft, and Upbeat by John Luke Hefford. Today's episode of Heavily Pixelated is brought to you by Pop Bomb. My good friend John Tatey and his mother, the incomparable Bonnie Tatey, perform witty, savvy deconstructions of AAA pop culture moments with copious asides about donuts, yard sales, and the best snacks to sneak into a movie theater. You'll laugh, you'll think, and you'll wish that you had the kind of relationship with your mom that John has with his mom. Subscribe to Pop Mom on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode was produced by Sarah Deakins, technical producer Stephen Nikolic. If you've got a story for us, we want to hear it. Send it to heavilypix at gmail.com. You want to do us a favor, go to iTunes and leave us a review. That helps us more than anything. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. I'm Scott C. Jones. I'll see you then. Mm-hmm.